Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Well, let's get into this tonight. I'm honored to have the privilege to kick this thing off. And um, I believe we're going to set the course. It was funny. I picked up Pastor Daryl Huffman and from the airport, Pastor Daryl and Bonnie. And right there as we were getting on the highway, he went ahead and kind of gave me some insight direction he was going. And I said, okay, well, I won't get too deep because that's where I was going. But you know what's amazing about this? Uh, that it already confirms in my spirit that we are drawing on the same spirit. You know that, right? Um, and all of us are going to give different perspectives and different viewpoints. But we're going to—you're going to see because this is a spirit divine, uh, spirit designed conference, divinely ordained. You're going to see a lot of piggybacking. You're going to see a lot of. He said this this morning, and they said this last night, and we're just going to build on each other. And by the time you get to Wednesday night, man, which is Pastor Earl, he's going to throw it down to close this thing out for us. Uh, by the time we get there, I mean, I tell you what, if you put yourself in a position to draw and to receive, I mean, you're going to be so full that, that you're going to see all the connecting elements. You're going to see how everybody's building on one another and how it's just going to be so impactful. Let me start with Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Let me start there and kind of set the stage a little bit. Colossians chapter 3. This past Wednesday, our our midweek service, I ministered on identity. And and, and I felt that I needed to stay in that vein for tonight and that we were kind of setting some things in place. I ministered on the God kind. You are the God kind. When God looked to a template and a pattern to create you, he looked no further than himself. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And when he did this, he was not just merely speaking to characteristics and features naturally. He was talking to function. He was talking to, about design, and we said this, that a manufacturer, when they design a product, they already have its function in mind. They already know what it will do, therefore they put everything in it to accomplish what it's called to do. A manufacturer never uh, creates a product and then wonders what it's going to be or what it's going to do. That's already in an unseen place. So before God created Adam and Eve, he already knew what they were going to do. He already knew what their function was, what their role was, what their part to play in the kingdom was. He said that they were going to rule. They're going to reign. They're going to manage. They're going to control. They're going to govern the, everything that's on the earth. Amen? That's what they were going to do. But before he told them what they were going to do, He told them who they are. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Then he says, let them rule. And we said this, that with identity, what we have gotten backwards in society is we discern or we decide what we're going to do 
what, what we're going, who we are from what we do. And God has it reversed. God says, this is who you are, and this is what you will do. And so if we misunderstand this, this concept of identity and how we gain our identity in the kingdom of God, it causes everything else to struggle. We said it this way, that if you don't solve the identity crisis, everything else after that becomes a crisis. Money will be a crisis. Resource will be a crisis. Validation will be a crisis. Relationships will be a crisis. Jobs and assignments and promotions cannot fulfill what only God can fulfill. You can't make enough money to fulfill what only God can. You can't have enough friends. You can't have enough influence. You can't do enough things. You can't have enough achievements and accolades to replace what only God can give you. I was talking to a good friend of mine, you know, Pastor Caleb, I was talking to his older brother, and he shot me back this text. I was talking in line with this, and he put it this way. And I said, well, I'll give you credit the first time. After that, that's mine. But he said, he put it this way. He said, if you don't solve the identity crisis, crisis becomes your identity. If we don't solve the identity crisis, then we will only identify with all the crises we ever end up in in our lives. The identity of the believer ought to be the sole, the, the highest priority of search because everything flows from that. Everything else flows from our identity. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, and if you really want the precursor to this message, you're just going to have to get online and catch the midweek service, the God kind. We are the God kind. You're not second tier. You're not second level. You're not trying to achieve and become something. That's who he created you and designed you to be, to be him in the earth and to rule and to manage. And so we're going to build off of that principle. We're going to build off of that uh, concept today. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. This is how it reads. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, everyone say raised. This is kingdom rise, isn't it? We're talking about rising up. We're talking about being raised up. He says, if you've been raised with Christ to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead, keep seeking. Everyone say, keep seeking. Keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If you've been raised with Christ, the new life, sharing in his resurrection, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He goes on to say, set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above. The heavenly things, not on things that are on the earth. So he immediately, when he identifies, okay, you've been raised with Christ, and we must keep seeking those things that are above, then he immediately contrasts us or shows us the contrast of our thought life that if we don't remain fixed on what is above, we will get distracted by what's below. That's why he's saying you have to keep keep seeking. Stay focused. He says habitually, that means daily, 
making sure this is in front of me, making sure I'm giving attention, making sure I'm staying focused on my new identity that I'm raised with Christ, not on the things that are on the earth, which only have temporal value. And don't we know so many people, maybe we are, or maybe we used to be those that search for our identity in temporal things, things that are here one day and gone the next. And you wonder why people are in such an identity crisis. You wonder why we are so up and down. You wonder why we're so back and forth. You wonder why we're so double-minded. It's because we have our our attention focused on things that are temporal. That means they're always, the word temporal here actually means this, subject to change. It actually means subject to change. I don't know about you, but I don't want to build my identity on something that is subject to change. I want to build my identity on something that's permanent, eternal, the kingdom of God, the values of heaven. Those things are not subject to change. Those things are constant. Those things remain. Those things are consistent. Those things are unshakable. Those things are immovable. And an immovable church has to stay focused on an immovable value of heaven and their identity. How in the world can we be a pillar and support if we're shaken by every little thing that comes? That, that, that's completely contrary to the purpose of a pillar and support. It's to keep something fixed. It's to, if this idea of truth being a moving target, we're a pillar and support of truth. If we have this idea that what was wrong yesterday isn't wrong today, or that there's some progressive thinking, then we're missing the mark badly as a church. And how in the world is the world going to find the mark when we can't even find the mark? No, we got to be immovable, unshaken. And that means we've got to let go of these temporal identities. We've got to let go of these things that want to try to pin to us, you've done this and you've achieved that and you've been this, but then one day those things are gone. And guess what goes with it? Our identity, who we think we are, what we think we're called to do. Set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above. Verse 3 says, for you died to this world, and your new real life is hidden. Look at this. Is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I want to show this to you in the Passion Translation. In the Passion Translation, verse 1, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. Come on, if we could get a hold of that right there, we could shut this thing down quick. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. Everything God did for Jesus, he ultimately did for you. Y'all didn't even get that. Y'all must have either been busy writing down the last point or you just that just went right over you. I said everything God did for Jesus, he ultimately did for you. Your life is hidden with Christ. So now I share in everything that Jesus has accomplished, everything Jesus has done, everything Jesus is today, I can now apply to my life. 
I can apply to my life. Amen. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits, enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm. And fill your thoughts with heavenly realities. And not with the distractions of the natural realm. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life. See, a lot of us want resurrection without crucifixion. You want to come alive to something, but you haven't died to nothing. We first got to die to some stuff. Then we can share in the coming alive with Christ. Y'all with me? And now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed. For you are now one with him in his glory. It seems that the identity of the church lies in an understanding of the identity of Jesus. If we're truly going to understand who we are, then we're going to need to understand better who he is. And not only does the church have an identity crisis today, Jesus, the church has given Jesus an identity crisis. We don't even know who Jesus really is. And here's the problem. If you don't know who he really is, you won't really know what he came to do. If you don't really know who he is, you won't really understand his purpose, his mission. You'll misappropriate, you'll misunderstand. You'll say stuff like, Jesus came to die on the cross for my sins and take me to heaven. And his purpose was much greater than that. His purpose was much bigger than that. And we will accept a lower level of life than what God himself prepared for us. In essence, what Paul is saying here in Colossians chapter 3 is saying, you've got to be focused habitually. Think on, set your mind on, think like heaven thinks. Set your mind above, not on the earth below. Why? Because your identity is now with heaven, not on earth. Your identity is more defined by what is in an unseen realm than by what is in the seen realm. Your identity is now more determined by what is permanent and eternal than what is temporal and subject to change. So in essence, you could put it this way. Paul was saying, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. Ultimately, I become what I fixate on. I become what I give my attention to. I become. It's impossible to gain a Christ identity, a kingdom identity, but have my mind fixed on CNN and Fox News. It's going to be impossible for you to have a kingdom mindset while responding to every little thing that comes your way in the world. So if I'm going to become the kingdom, I'm going to have to behold the kingdom. If I'm going to become, if I'm going to raise myself with Christ, if I'm going to rise to who I am, that's what this conference is all about, then I'm going to have to set my attention, set my affections, set my, 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 my fixate habitually, my mind, where he is, not where I am. 
I'm not going to gain kingdom thinking with worldly seeing. Amen. The distractions we engage in will move us further and further away from who we really are. You know, Pastor Marcus said it. Uh, while, while in worship, he said, some of us are going to find that the groups and the circles we run with are just not going to be, uh, uh, we're just not going to be able to continue with that any longer. And I'm going to tell you right now, where you want to go, you need to get around people that are going there too. I mean that. I'm not talking about cutting people off and being mean and, 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 and you know, not witnessing and not sharing the gospel and just getting some little camp going. I'm talking about who you're running with. I'm talking about who you share values with. I'm talking about who you lock arms with. I'm talking about who has your attention and who you respond to all the time. Those things, you're going to have to find that I've got to be around people that are in alignment for where I'm going. Him and I both, we're best friends going all the way back to Bible school. Golly, it's probably been 18, 19 years now that we've, we've known each other. And him and I both have had to make decisions with friendships, relationships, people we hung around, people we stayed in contact with back home, that we had to learn, you know what, you're not going where I'm going. This relationship isn't adding value to my life. We've got to guard these things. Because what, what's going to happen is you have the thought, well, I'll stay here and I'll keep running with, for God and I'll keep going after God and maybe I'll win these people. No, they're going to stifle any little growth that shows up. They're going to strangle it. They can talk you out of it. Even your company's got to be guarded. Even who we surround ourselves has got to be guarded. And even more so in these last days. The Bible has a lot to say about company. The Bible has a lot to say about connections and relationships. And he even makes this one statement concerning the church. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves. That the company I run with can either propel me towards my destiny or restrict me from it. Keep me back, hold me back from my destiny. So he says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some have created a habit of doing, and even more so as the day draws near. We're in the as the more so as the day draws near. If you, if you weren't woke up to that yet, figure it out right now. We're in the as the day draws near. That's where we're at. And we see doors shutting down, and we see restrictions, and we see, you know, the church just as scared as the world. They can fill up football stadiums, but we can't have church. Y'all got to be kidding me. Because the, even the enemy knows the company you keep. I said even the enemy knows. Got no problem with you getting around your drinking buddies watching a football game, but you can't go to church with your spiritual drinking buddies. Come on. So these things we have to guard. And he's saying, look, if you want to live like Christ, you're going to have to think like Christ. You're going to have to set your mind where he is. You're going to have to start focusing and intently, intentionally going after kingdom values and dying to the things of the world. So go with me to Matthew chapter 16. I'll try to bring some parallels to get together here that uh, regarding this principle of identity. 
Where do you get your identity? You know, this is the thing. Everybody in this world has a source of identity. Everybody in this world has a source where you get your identity from. It might be a job. It might be a relationship. It might be your parents. It might be your upbringing. But everyone has a source that you run to or that has given you identity. And if you're not intentional, you know, Miles Monroe made a statement in one of his books along these lines. He, He said, if you don't discover who you are, other people won't have any problem labeling you and telling you who you are. If you don't discover who you are, you'll buy into a lie. And then what will happen is you'll begin to behave like that identity. You'll begin to do things, accept limitations, accept labels on your life that God never intended for you to carry. That doesn't reflect kingdom. Doesn't reflect someone that's got the spirit of God living inside of them. Doesn't reflect someone that is manifesting heaven on earth you'll begin to live and behave like the identity you allow, the identity you accept. You know, we talk about this with children, especially teenagers a lot, because that's where they really begin to start to think on their own, what's my identity, and they find identity in all kinds of stuff. You know, when I was growing up, it was clothing. Not just being real. It was clothing. If you, if you wore certain brand of jeans or a certain brand of shoes or dressed a certain way, it automatically labeled you in a certain group. I'm trying to think of some of the brands right now. Tommy Hilfiger, Airwalks, okay? Doc Martens, anybody remember Doc Martens? Yep. So we had the prep group, the jock group, the rock star group. The, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we had them all. So, you know, you got Jinkos in one group, and then you've got Polo Ralph Lauren in the other group, and you've got Airwalks in one group, and you got Nikes in the other group. Some of y'all are looking at me like, what are y'all talking about? This is the 90s. You got you to gotta, you gotta run with the 90s on me. That's, that's where I grew up. Those were my high school days. You know, 80s. I got some, anybody teenager in the 80s, let me see your hand. Teenager in the 70s, let me see your hand. Yeah, teenager in the 60s. Okay, there's a few of you willing to admit that. I'm not going any further back. Hallelujah. It's amazing the places that we run to get identity when we don't get it from the right source. There's so many things. And some people, they never grow out of that. I thank God I grew out of that. It didn't matter what brand I wore or what labels were showing or anything like that. But, you know, there's some adults today, they have not grown out of getting something to tell them who they are. I got to have this. I got to wear that. I got to drive this. I got to live in that. I got to go here. I got to have that job. I got to make this money. Got to be with these people. Everybody's got a source of identity. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Jesus is asking an identity question. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, this is about six months prior to his crucifixion, to his death. So he's already been doing ministry for about two and a half years, three years. 
He comes into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asks his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Who do men say that I am? Sounds like Jesus has an identity crisis. You know, he's been doing ministry close to three years at this point. What are people saying about me? Now, he's not asking that question like you and I asked that question. Right? We, we love to know what people think, and it alters, uh, you know, what we say. It alters what we do. That's half the reason why our Facebook posts look as good as they do. But if we really looked at, if we really contrasted our Facebook posts with our real life, there'd be a grave difference. But we get to put out our best side, right? We get to put out the stuff that makes us look great out there because why? Only because you care about what other people think. And you got people following you on there that you haven't talked to in 32 years. Come on. Maybe I'm being a little more real right now, but it's all about impressing. It's all about perception. It's all about putting out an identity, whether it's real or not. Because on there, I can, it should be called fake book. Because <laughs> out there, I can manage and control the identity I put out. In real life, I can't. And some of those people that see us on the other side of the screen, they'd be real shocked to see what our real life looks like. Okay? So Jesus isn't asking the question like we asked the question. What do people say about me? What do people really think? No, he's asking, he's asking his disciples, and he's going to get to a point here. Who do men say that I am? Notice he's not asking what. He's not asking how. He's not asking why. He says, who do men say? That's an identity question. And so they said, some say John the Baptist. Okay. You know, I mean, he's a relative of his. That's pretty close. Some Elijah. Well, you know, that's, that's a powerful prophet right there. I mean, that's an awesome man to be compared with, right? I mean, if you're going to That'd be like today saying, you know, Billy Graham or Oral Roberts or Kenneth Hagin. I mean, that's, that's a big name, man. You, you, he kind of sounds like Elijah. He kind of, he reminds me a lot of what I read about of Elijah and the miracles he did and the manifestations he saw, what his ministry was like. And others said Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so they have these responses. Again, this is what the people are saying. And these are literal responses from other people in the region that have watched Jesus now for close to three years of ministry, have watched him perform, watched him do miracles, heard him teach, and they're comparing him. Now, they didn't have, you know, the Internet, and they didn't have Instagram. They didn't have all these things so they could literally see what Elijah looked like or what Jeremiah sounded like. But being passed down, obviously, there were things of this is what the prophet Jeremiah was like. This is what the prophet Elijah was like. This is what John the Baptist sounded like. Obviously, they could see him in person. They live together. But they're comparing identities. And this is what other people are literally saying about Jesus. This is who they think he is. And all those might sound great. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the former prophets. Yeah, those, those might sound great, but it's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. I would ask us today, who are we comparing Jesus to? I think everyone in some way, shape, or form compares Jesus 
We have a version of Jesus that we accept. Might be grandma's version. It might be pastor's version. Or you might have accepted a version of Jesus and then he, there was an unmet expectation. Something happened in your life. You experienced something. Now all of a sudden, well, I guess Jesus wasn't the healer after all. I guess Jesus isn't a restorer after all. I lost this person. I guess Jesus does. And now we allow our version of Jesus to be altered by our experiences and the things that we come into in life. I, I think a lot of us are in a position where we're just simply comparing Jesus to, oh, he's like this. But Jesus is going a little deeper. Because then he asked the question in verse 15. Who do you say that I am? So first he asked, what are people saying about me? Who do men say? Who do people think I am? Based on my performance, based on what they've seen, based on what they know. Well, they compare you to John the Baptist. They compare you to Elijah. They compare you to this. They compare you to that. And then he makes it personal. But who do you say that I am? Now, you know, the more you know someone, the closer you get to someone, the more that you can understand their identity, their intentions, their purpose, who they are. But Peter speaks up. Peter speaks up in verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He asked them personally, Who do you? You've, you've been around me, right? You've been close with me. You've traveled with me. You've eaten with me. You've gone to all these different towns with me. So you should have a different perspective, and you should have a different perception of who I am than the others. You shouldn't be merely comparing me to former prophets or others that have gone before. You should have some, some special insight now that you, we've got a relationship now. So your draw on my identity or who you think I am should, should be a little different than everybody else in the world. If the church is only accepting the world's version of Jesus, are we missing it? You better believe we are. We should have a different level of perception. We should have a different level of understanding of who Jesus is and help them see who Jesus really is. Other men should not have the same view of Jesus as we do, and vice versa. Those that are far from Christ don't get to tell us who Jesus is. You don't know him like I know him. You don't know him as intimately and intentionally as I do. But I think a lot of the church today has just merely adopted the world's version of Jesus and allows the world to tell us. You know, we, we talked about this in our churches, Pastor Earl, from, uh, you know, the beginning when, when we started in 2004, and we, we've adopted it here, that, you know, people that come and visit, we want to have a great presentation. We want to have um, um, an excellence behind what we do. But, but, you know, sometimes people come in with perceptions of things before they even encounter you. They already have in their mind what church is going to be like. They already have in their mind that, you know, some people go to some mean churches. I thank God it's not this one. But 
you've probably been to some mean churches. They didn't talk to you. They didn't smile at you. They looked at you like, what are you doing here? I mean, come on, we're in South Georgia. I know. I know. And so we, we, we've always told our teams and our leadership teams, we don't let people from the outside that visit us one time tell us who we are. That church isn't a nice church. You don't know us. You got to come back at least five times, and that's just the start. We can't walk into a place on one visit and know everything about someone. You got to get to know people. You get to know them. Well, people need to get to know Jesus, not just accept an idea of Jesus or a version of Jesus. And then on top of that, we take it a step further and we accept the, the version of Jesus that meets our preference. So some people have the version of Jesus of the little, the little shepherd petter, carries his sheep around and pets sheep, sheep all the time has kids in his lap. But that same Jesus threw over some tables, kicked some money changers out of, called Pharisees your brood of vipers to their face, whitewashed tombs to their face, announced it to everybody. So you've got the, you got angry Jesus, you got soft, kind Jesus, you got veterinarian Jesus. <laughs> right? You got child care Jesus. We got all these versions of Jesus. He came, he, you know, uh, John wrote this of him in John chapter 1. He came full of grace and truth. Well, some of us only accept the grace Jesus. <laughs> we forget there's an and in between there. It doesn't say full of grace or truth. Full of grace and truth. And then we've got the truth ones. That just pounds you with the word and beats you over and fire hell and brimstone. If you, if you don't make a decision right now, you're going to hell. You could get hit by a car on the way out of here, die and lose your life. Come to heaven. Okay, fine, I'll go to heaven. But then we just accept angry Jesus. That's always bashing you down and, and always asking of you, demanding of you something. And, 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 and so we have these versions. We have these identities that we accept, and Jesus is asking his disciples, who do men say? What, what's the conclusion they've come to? All right, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, and he says, I believe you are the Christ, that's the anointed one and his anointing, the son of the living God. I mean, if we had time, we could break down that whole phrase just right there. You are the Christ, the anointed one in his anointing. You are the son of God, the living God, the almighty God, the creator of the universe. In verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is the thing. If we misunderstand Jesus' identity, we will misinterpret his purpose. 
if we misunderstand the identity of Jesus, then I will misinterpret his purpose. So Jesus, six months out, he's about to go to the cross. I mean, we're in, we're in time crunch. We are in the mode of we're preparing you for Jesus, not just to be crucified, rise again, but to ascend to heaven. And he's leaving these 12 guys, he's leaving the ministry of the kingdom in their hands. And you look at these passages and you look what Jesus does in the remaining six months here and you see that he's being very intentional with them. He's, very, he's having very intimate conversations. He talks to them about the love of God in John chapter 14. He talks to them, he introduces them to the Holy Spirit in John chapter 15, in John chapter 16. I mean, he's, he's being very intentional with his time. You know that when you're getting ready to go, you're getting ready to pass, that, that time together and your conversations are not just shooting the breeze and checking on the weather. You're covering important topics. And so he's, he's wanting them to understand, you need to know who I am because if you don't know who I am, you don't know what I'm about to do. I got to make sure that you've been watching me these last two and a half, three years, and that you don't misinterpret what my assignment is. Because if you think that I just came to die on a cross, you're going to miss it. If you think that I'm just come to rise again and leave you behind, you're going to miss it. If you don't know what my true mission and my true assignment is, you're going to miss it. But you won't know my true mission until you know my true identity. Because purpose and mission is always tied up in identity. So again, if I misunderstand the identity of Jesus, I will misinterpret his mission and his purpose, his calling. And there's so many believers today, they don't understand the mission because they don't understand his identity. They don't understand what he came to do because they don't know who he came as. But this statement here that Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter reveals, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is an important statement. And Jesus makes this statement about what Peter says. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Here it is. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. One translation reads, you did not get that on your own. It was divinely revealed. You did not figure that out on your own. It was divinely revealed. This is what we know. We cannot gain an understanding of Jesus' identity on our own. In fact, I can guarantee you, if you only use your natural senses and your natural ability, and even reading this book without being led by the Holy Spirit, you will come to the wrong conclusion about Jesus every time. You will accept the wrong identity, and you'll come to the wrong conclusion. You'll accept and misinterpret the wrong purpose and assignment and mission for which he came. You won't understand that he came to bring a kingdom. You'll think that he came to get you out of somewhere. Come on. Because you don't know who he is, you don't know what he can do. If you don't know who he is, then you don't know what he can do. It's the same for you. If you don't know who you are, you'll never discover what you can do. Because what you can do follows who you are. 
And so many of us are trying to do to become when Jesus says, just become and then go do. That the doing follows the being. But we think, well, if I do enough, then I'll be. And Jesus says, no, you are, so go do. Go perform. This is what believers look like. This is how believers behave. This is how we talk. This is how we act. This is how we produce the the results of the kingdom. And that only comes when you truly understand your identity. And he's trying to help his disciples understand this principle here that until you get my identity straightened out, you will miss out on my mission every time. Six months, I'm getting ready to leave. I need to make sure you know who I am and what I came to do. And he says to Peter, you didn't figure this out on your own. Flesh and blood has not revealed this, but by my Father. Supernatural revelation. We said earlier that our identity ought to be the most sought after pursuit. When we come into the kingdom, we need to quickly discover who we are. I think it's Mark Hankins that puts it this way. When you get born again, the Holy Spirit immediately begins introducing you to your new self, to your new identity. We need to let believers know when you come into the kingdom, now you're on a path of discovery. Not what to become, but what you have become, and now what you need to begin. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now be holy as I am holy. Righteousness is who you are. Holiness is what you do. But if I don't understand I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, I'll never achieve the holiness he's called us to. So we've got to understand what part is is automatically in us when we come into the kingdom and then what part I'm now picking up in this discovery, in this revelation, becoming more aware of who I am, what I have, what I can do, what my potential is in the kingdom of God now, and putting that on display. So Jesus is helping his disciples, you got to know who I am if you're going to know what I am called to do. Flesh and blood, that our identity will never be discovered on our own ability. Our identity can never be discovered on our own ability. This is partly why you need to have a church. Just making converts won't cut it because now you're letting babies decide who they are. And if that that isn't literal today, we literally let them grow up and decide who they are all the way down to gender. Isn't that the direction the world's going? Even though all the makeup and all the science and everything tells you who you are, it's right there, clearly, readily available. We still want to make a decision. But I'm telling you right now, spiritually, when you're born again, you don't get to decide who you are. You don't get to tell the manufacturer, I can't be holy. I can't be righteous. I can't be healed. I can't walk in divine health. I can't have this. I can't have that. The manufacturer is going to look at you and say, no. I put it in you. I put it there. I know what I put in you. 
Abraham can't look at God and say, I can't be a father of many nations. No, he knew from the beginning of time, before the beginning of time, you will be a father of many nations. 75 years, 85 years, 95 years, doesn't matter. Wife with a womb that's barren and closed up, doesn't matter. If I put it in you, it will come to pass. I put the identity there. I put the DNA there. I wired you that way. And, you know, one of the first things when God starts bringing vision to our life and we start discovering who we are, one of the first things that shows up is all the excuses and reasons why we can't be that. Calls you to start a business, calls you, calls you to foster children, calls you to adopt, calls you to start a school, calls you to do this, calls you, and some, the first inclination on the inside is inferiority. The first thing that rises up is, whoa, I don't know about that. It's too big. I mean, Sarah literally laughed at Jesus. You got to be kidding me. I mean, if you have ever been called by God to do an assignment and your first thought was you got the wrong person, just throw your hands just so I can know I'm in a room of others. Yep. All the rest of you are either lying or you need to be up here holding this microphone. That first, yeah, don't give them the mic. That first natural inclination, that first natural inclination is always the pushback because the enemy wants to make you feel inferior to your identity. The enemy always wants to make you feel inferior to who you really are. That's why he had to write the church and tell them there is therefore now, no condemnation, because condemnation attacks your identity. Condemnation is not being less. Condemnation is thinking you are less. Hello? You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But if you allow condemnation to rule in your life, you'll never live up to that. You'll always feel inferior. You'll always call yourself a sinner, saved by grace. I mean, that's one of the, the, the biggest lines that the church has accepted. I almost want to put it in a category of doctrines of demons. That is a line of inferiority, period, nothing more, nothing less. It is to get you to live below what God has called you to do. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner saved by grace. Now I'm a believer. Now I'm a champion. Now I'm a challenger. Now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now I'm more than a conqueror. Now I can be who he says that I can be. We don't accept even, even fancy quotes that don't align with the word of God. Because our identity is, taught, our identity is tied up in these things. We begin to see ourselves in light of these things. You're, you'll never champion anything in life thinking, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You're not just anything. Remove the word just from your vocabulary tonight. You're not just the businessman, just the pastor, just the teacher, just the mom, just this, just that. No, you're not just anything. You are just in his eyes. You are the righteous, the called ones, a royal priesthood. Holy people, set, af set apart, sanctified, distinguished. 
We stand out from the crowd. We stand out from the world. We stand out from religion. We stand out. You can find us. We're that set apart. Vessels of honor. I could go on and on. You've got to discover who you are. And and he's telling Peter here, you will not figure this out on your own. Flesh and blood has not revealed this. You can't study it enough. You can't go to enough seminary. You can't be under enough teaching. You can't go to enough churches. You can't do enough. It's going to have to be given to you only by the Holy Spirit. It's going to take the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. Keep your finger there in Matthew 16. Let's look at a a few passages here to confirm this. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Man, when the Lord showed me this, my eyes opened up. We broke this out on Wednesday night, but I've got to include it here at this point that your identity can only be supernaturally revealed. It's the only way you'll discover it. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul writes this, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul has planted this church, and um, we actually did this a few nights ago. Paul wrote that same sentence or sentence structure to every church, every epistle, Colossae, Thessalonica, Ephesus, um, um, Galatia. He wrote to them and said, I pray for you daily. I make mention of you in my prayers. I thank God for something along those lines. What was Paul praying about these churches and for these churches? I mean, he, he planted these churches, pastored these churches, handed these churches off. Sometimes he watered, sometimes he planted, but God gave the increase, right? And, and, and Paul has a very special interest in these churches, even after he's left. And he's writing back to them letters, and almost every single one, he writes to them, and he starts out with, I make mention of you. I'm praying for you. And he expounds here in Ephesians. Listen to what he's praying for these churches. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit. Everyone say spirit. Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He goes on to say that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened or opened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I want to stop right there. Listen to what he's praying. Let's review this. 
Verse 17, the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul was praying for these churches after they have come into the faith, after they have come into the kingdom, after they have believed. He now says, okay, you're just getting started. Now I'm praying that you will receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That means you're going to learn or discern something that cannot be accepted or received naturally. You're going to need what what I'm getting ready to share with you. You're going to need a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He goes on to say that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Again, he's saying you're going to have to rely on the Holy Spirit. He's going to have to show this to you. And I'm praying for you. Daily, I'm praying for you. Intentionally, emphatically, I'm praying that you will see what the Holy Spirit is going to show you. To what? Look, there are, there are things in this world that we have accepted that the world has told us. The Holy Spirit hasn't told us. The Holy Spirit hasn't revealed it. I mean, let's look. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? The world can't tell you that. Mom can't tell you that. Pastor can't tell you that. Not without the divine utterance of the Holy Spirit. CNN surely ain't telling you that. Fox News ain't telling you that. There's something about the church. There's something about believers. There's something about kingdom citizens that we can only discover when we tap into a spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's only going to come from one source. In the exceeding greatness of his power. Why isn't the church operating in the greatness of his power today? Because we're allowing the world to tell us what our power is. We're allowing the world to tell us what we can do and what we can't do. You know, one of the things that bothered me last year when, when this whole pandemic thing started and, and they, you know, governors and pre- presidents are all asking churches to close their doors, let's slow the curve and all this stuff. And, and the one thing that bothered me was if you only knew the power that I had, you wouldn't be asking me to close my doors. You'd be asking me to fill up the seats. You'd be asking me to do the exact opposite. And then they call on the church for social service. Feed these people and help these people and go and do that. And outreach is a part of us, but we will not be reduced to Red Cross. We will not be reduced to Salvation Army. We will not be reduced to a handout. We will not be reduced to a social service. We've got kingdom power to give away. I can give you more than water. I can give you more than bread. I can give you more than a warm place to live. I can give you more than paying an electric. But I can give you the Spirit of God. But the world has no problem allowing you to do what they think you can do and limit you at the same time. They have no problem with that. Oh, yeah, they'll accept our social service all day long. They'll take our handouts all all day long. And they'll glorify you. Look at this church. Send all this water to, to hurricane relief. And that's great. But my question is, do you know the power that you have? That you can speak to storms and they can stop and actually reverse direction. I never heard one news outlet 
this church over here got out in front of this hurricane and it reversed course as they were speaking to it and praying that it would go away. But they got no no problem giving you a, a minute and a half segment on the local news because you bust in water on top of water on top of water and helping people after the fact. Look, the, the church can do much better than just relief efforts. We aren't just reactionary. We can be proactive in this thing, and we ought to be. The kingdom of God is proactive, not reactive. The kingdom of God doesn't have to wait for it to all go to hell in a handbasket for the church to show up and, all right, let's do the best job we can with collateral damage. You know your kingdom identity. You know we can get out in front of this thing, and we can halt this thing before it ever even steps foot in our community. And that's what we need. We need churches and communities that say, we're standing up to spiritual strongholds. We're standing up to religious spirits. We're standing up to things that want to try to encroach and come upon a community. But no, Valdosta will be a light for the kingdom of God. Valdosta will stand up for righteousness. Valdosta will draw the line in the sand. That's the difference we can make when you understand your true identity. You don't get that from the news. You don't get that from people. You get that from the spirit of wisdom and revelation. There are things that that the church knows about themselves that they never got from the Holy Spirit one second. They never even consulted the Holy Spirit to say, does this align with our values? Does this align with who we are? I mean, if you're a, a, a kingdom embassy, you don't get to discern or you don't get to decide who you are. A kingdom embassy has to reflect the home nation. There's no rogue embassies in the kingdom of God. My goodness. Purpose is not decided. It's discovered. I don't decide it. I discover what it really is, and I walk in it. And Paul's praying for this church, and he says, I'm praying. Gosh, so diligently, every day, intentionally, that you'll have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. You've given your life over to the faith. You've come into the kingdom. Praise God. But you've got to discover. As a husband, you've got to discover. As a wife, you've got to discover. As a pastor, you've got to discover. As a businessman, you've got to discover. As a businesswoman, you've got to discover. As a teacher, as a mom, as a dad, as a brother, as a sister. In Ephesians, the first three chapters are telling you who you are, and then chapter four, five, and six is telling you what to do. Because if I don't know who I am, then I don't know what to do. And he says, how do you understand who you are? Spirit of wisdom and revelation. But the part that I never saw is if you really read, let's, re- let's finish reading verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's Jesus. Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. That's Jesus. And he put all things under his feet, Jesus, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, Jesus, which is his body, Jesus, the fillness of him who fills all in all. Now, if we stop right there, honestly... Paul hasn't told us what we need to know. He said, I'm praying that you have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that your eyes will be enlightened, that you'll have understanding in the knowledge of him. And and, and he's saying this, but but that's almost like me going to Pastor Chris here and saying, man, I want to give you $100. 
and then I walk away. Paul is saying, I'm praying that you have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him and to know this and to know that and to know that. But then he never really tells you in this chapter what we need to know until you get to chapter 2 because the chapters weren't written in chapter and verse back then. He wasn't thinking, okay, let's change same subject. Let's get off the topic. Chapter 2, let's just start a new fragment, a new segment of sentence here. No, he's continuing. Now he lets us know. What is it, Paul, that I need a spirit of wisdom and revelation for? What is it that I need to gain an enlightening by the Holy Spirit? What is it that you want me to know so badly that I cannot discern or decide on my own? I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you. Everyone say you. Everyone say me. And you he made alive. Now we're getting into... What you need wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And you, he made alive. And then he quickly begins to contrast the alive life with the dead life. Who were once dead in trespasses and sins. Once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also... We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So immediately he says, you were made alive, but if you're not careful, you can default back to what you used to be. He's basically saying, if you don't understand the wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, if you don't gain this understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will default back to a life that is far from Christ and does not reflect or represent him. No, you came out of that. And you, he made alive. Verse 4, but God, everyone say, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Paul, what is it that I need to know? You need to know that you've been made alive together with Christ. And then he puts in parentheses, by grace you have been saved. Immediately he he begins to let them know, don't think you did this on your own. Don't think you got here on your own. You're going to need this by the Holy Spirit. By grace, you have been saved. You did not get there on your own doing. And raised us up together and made us sit together. Is this the Kingdom Rise Conference? We are raised to Christ. We are raised to being seated with him, raised up with him, raised up in life with him. And made us sit together in the heavenly places That in the age to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Look at this in the Amplified. I'm sorry, in in the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to start with verse 4. But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. And even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Look at verse 6. He raised us up. What did Colossians 3 say? Since you are seated with Christ, 
think, set your mind on things above. Since you've been raised us, he raised us up with Christ, the exalted one. And we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. This is my favorite part, verse 7. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. I cannot display what I have not discerned. I cannot be a display of Jesus if I have not discerned that I am seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And how does this discernment come? How is this learned and how is this knowledge acquired? Only by the Holy Spirit. With a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Well, that's exactly what Jesus told Peter back in Matthew chapter 16. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Meaning supernatural identity doesn't come by natural means. Supernatural identity only comes by supernatural means, supernatural reliance, supernatural dependence. It's time for the church to start getting engaged with the Holy Spirit and calling on him to tell us who we are, show us who we are, that we can discover who we are and what we can do so we can start bringing real answers and solutions to a fallen, broken world. Now, Go back to Matthew chapter 16. Peter says, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, verse 17. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father, who is in heaven, you've discovered that my real identity and who I am did not come to you by natural means, but by supernatural means. My Father in heaven, my Holy Spirit has revealed it to you. Now, look at what he says in verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter. Now, wait a minute. We're going to talk about an identity crisis. Jesus is talking to an individual with two names. Just in the verse before, in verse 17, he said, Blessed are you, Simon, Bar-Jonah, or meaning son of Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon, which means shifty and shaky, unstable. But now... In the very next verse, verse 18, Jesus answered, or, uh, and I also say to you that you are Peter. That word Peter comes from the word Petra, which means rock, means firm. He just, in one verse, changed his identity by changing his name. See, this whole passage, Jesus is dealing with identity. He started out with, who do men say that I am? Now, who do you say that I am? And we as the church ought to be relying on different factors and parameters to come to the conclusion of who Jesus is. Who do men say that I am? And the world should be different than who does the church say that I am. 
And the only way we gain that identity is by supernatural wisdom and revelation by the Holy Spirit. Now he's reversing it and talking to Peter and called him Simon in one verse. And now is calling him Peter in the next verse. He just went from unstable to stable in one verse. And this is why. He had to change his name. He had to change his identity to change his purpose. Because what follows in verse 18 could not be applied to Simon Bar-Jonah. It couldn't be given to someone with the name that means stumble, means unstable, shaky. He changes his name. He changes his identity. And then he says this, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, the ecclesia. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Right here, Jesus deals with Peter's identity crisis. He had to take care of his identity before he could take care of his purpose. He had to identify who he is before he could determine what he can do. Y'all with me? If you're going to be a kingdom that cannot be shaken, if you're going to be a kingdom, if you're going to be a rock that I'm going to build my church upon, if you're going to be what I'm going to supplant my church in, and whatever you do on earth, heaven will reciprocate and respond to you. If you're going to carry keys that not even hell itself can overthrow, you're going to have to know that you can't be this shifty, shaky person. You're going to have to be someone that is grounded, founded, a firm and established church. That's what I'm building my church on, he's saying. That is the church today. In the Passion Translation, verse 18, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 in the Passion. I give you the name, Peter, a stone. And this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly. This is about a government, not a religion. This is a kingdom, not just a belief system, not just something we say, not just something we talk about, something we belong to. And the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. I heard one minister put it this way, there is nothing that should happen in the earth without the church's permission. But a church with an identity crisis doesn't live this way. When you don't know who you are, you let stuff in that shouldn't be let in. And you let stuff out that shouldn't be let out. And you don't bring heaven to earth. You're more interested in getting out of the earth and getting to heaven. That's an identity crisis. And you don't rise with that attitude. You don't rise with that knowledge. 
But until we change the identity, we can't receive the purpose. We can't receive the assignment. Now, let's tie this together right here. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. This is the part I want to key in on. This is what's going to carry us through this conference. Jesus has just revealed his identity. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The only way you know who I really am is the Holy Spirit revealed it to you. And now I'm changing your name. I'm changing your identity so you can fulfill a different purpose than the one you thought you were going to carry, fulfill. Now look at verse 21. From that time, we just had this conversation about who Jesus is. Just had the conversation, what the church is going to do. Identity. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Listen to everything he just revealed. He began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised the third day. All of that is mission. The mission doesn't change the identity. He's still, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And whatever I experience beyond that doesn't change who I am. If anything, it's a part of fulfilling who I'm called to be. He's giving them insight into the mission. Well, verse 24, verse 22, look who speaks up again. Then Peter took him aside with his newfound identity. I'm the rock. I'm not that Simon guy anymore. I'm I'm the rock. And began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. He's rebuking Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living. Just five verses earlier, he's got this newfound revelation by the Holy Spirit. Now he's literally rebuking that living Son of God, the, the Christ, the anointed one the, the one, the anointed one in his anointing, the Messiah. He's rebuking him to his face. He's not even telling the other disciples, it's crazy, I'm going to make sure it doesn't. He's talking to Jesus directly. That's how bold he was. Look at the next verse. Verse 23. But he turned, Jesus, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. In a matter of five verses, Paul, Peter has just taken on three different identities. He's gone from Simon to the rock to Satan. <laughs> I've just demoted you from rock. I went right past shifty, shaky one. I went right on down to oppressor adversary. 
Peter is having quite an identity crisis in a very short span of time. See, when we don't know who we are, then we misinterpret the mission and the purpose. If, if, if he would have reminded himself he's the anointed one and his anointing, he's the son of the living God, he would have accepted the mission. But he didn't stay reminded of the mission because look what Jesus says to him. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. That means you stand in my way. Look what he says. For you are not mindful. Everyone say mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Colossians chapter 3. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your mind, your affections on the things above and not on the distractions below. Peter, in the matter of one verse, got distracted and forgot Jesus's identity and heard all the horrible things that were going to happen. And instead of remaining fixed, and that's how the purpose is fulfilled, that's how the mission is accomplished, he immediately reverted into friend mode. He immediately reverted into close mode. He re immediately reverted into this is my buddy mode. And instead of accepting the mission, now he's standing in the way of the mission. And an identity crisis causes everything else to become a crisis. And when you have an identity crisis, you begin rebuking things you should be receiving, and you resist things that God is trying to do in your life. And the whole reason is Jesus says, you are not mindful of the things of, you allowed yourself to accept supernatural revelation when you said you are the Christ, the son of the living God, but then you stopped and you reverted back to natural mode, temporal mode. Look at this in the Passion Translation. Verse 21, from then on, Jesus began to clearly reveal to his disciples that he was destined to go to Jerusalem, suffer injustice from the elders, leading priests and religious scholars. He also explained that he would be killed and three days later be raised to life again. We're talking about rising up. We're talking about being raised. Peter took him aside to correct him privately. He reprimanded Jesus over and over, saying to him, God forbid, God forbid? When you've got an identity crisis, you're asking God to forbid the things he should be allowing, and then you're allowing things that God should be forbidding. You get them twisted. You get them backwards. And that's why we have a church that isn't whatever's allowed on earth, allowed in heaven, whatever's forbidden on earth, forbid. We've got it twisted because our identity's in a crisis. Our identity is mixed up, so our mission is mixed up, so we allow things that we shouldn't be allowing, and we resist things that we should be. Where'd it go? Verse 22. God forbid, Master, spare yourself. You must never let this happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get out of my way, you Satan. You are a hindrance to me 
Because your thoughts are only filled with man's viewpoints and not with the ways of God. Worship team, if you come. This is what I want to do in leading us off. Setting us, charting the course, so to speak, for, the, for this conference. Is everything you receive in this conference, I can promise you, because I know these men and women of God, I know the word that's going to be bringing, it's going to be rich, it's going to be powerful, it's going to be impactful. But what I pray is two things. Number one, that we have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to receive the words as they're spoken. I mean, in service, your light bulbs go off. Your eyes are open internally. In Matthew chapter 13 with the parable of the sower, The first one was seed cast on the wayside, didn't receive it at all. The next two, they received it, and it says that they received it with joy. Now, that wasn't enough, but receiving it with joy initially means a light bulb went off. Man, look at what God has shown us. Look at what God has revealed. What we're coming up here and bringing you this week is not our our Bible school knowledge. We're not bringing you our natural wisdom. We're not bringing you our natural understanding of things. We're not bringing you our ability in and of ourselves to discern and break down in the Greek and the Hebrew and the Arabic. We are bringing you Holy Spirit, divinely inspired words. And in return, you've got to yield to the Holy Spirit. Open your heart up and say, Holy Spirit, show it to me like I've never seen it before. Holy Spirit, reveal it to me. Come on, this has to go beyond just a mental capacity. It's got to drop in our spirit. You've got to get it here and let it come from your heart up to your head. If this is just head knowledge stuff, if we're just filling notebooks, but not filling our lives, we're missing the mark. And the second thing I'm praying for you and I want you to come into agreement with me and commitment with me is that I will not revert back to man's viewpoint. Once I see the way of the Spirit, I will only live the way of the Spirit. Once I see the things of God, I will not revert. I will keep my mind. I will do Colossians chapter 3, habitually set my affections on heaven, habitually set my affections on the kingdom of God, and I will not revert back to broken thinking, stinking thinking, natural thinking. That's not the way to live, and I cannot live beyond my capacity to think. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.